so good it broke the microphone. <laughs> if I was younger and just starting out, my face would be really red right there. Y'all understand that? How many of y'all understand that? But since I'm old and I've done this a long time, stuff like that don't bother me anymore. Now, if I fall off this platform, that's a different story. How many of you need a little laugh today? I need a little laugh. How many of you was present the day I fell off this platform? Would you raise your hand? Not very many of you. How many of you was not here when I fell off this platform? So you have no idea what I'm talking about. You have an idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah. What's that? Do it again for those who want One more time? Do it again for those who want I don't want to do it again. But uh, that's one reason why I don't come off the platform anymore. I used to come off all the time and walk down the aisle and all that, and I'd get off on rabbit trails, but... I was standing right over here, and here's what was funny. It was like, I don't know, the fourth or fifth anniversary was the very first time I preached here. So I preached the same message that I had preached four or five years before, and I was talking about, and I'm here. And I was, you know, I was getting passionate. I was coming right now. I said, I'm here till God calls me. And before I got calls me home, man, I missed this step. Bam, hit the floor. I mean, just bam, hit the floor and I listened to the audio later, and I mean, this is what it, you heard the gasp. It was like, oh. And I'm sitting there laying on the ground going, Mark, get up. You just fell in front of all these people. I jump up with my hands up, and I'm like, I'm all right. Then you heard Busted out laughing like you've never heard in your life. So there was like, Ugh. a pause, then I jump up, I'm all right, and then it was like the whole, ch- I've never heard the church laugh like that in my life. My face was burning, my ears were burning, my neck was burning. I said, Mark, you just fell in front of all these people. So anything less than that, I'm all right. Does this microphone work? Good. Would y'all open your precious Bible this morning to the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation. Just a little teaching thought here. It is not the book of Revelations. Plural. It's not the book of Revelations. It is the book of Revelation. Now, um, we understand the context of this book. It was written to churches. Churches at that moment, and you know, I, I did a series, and I, I, I kind of cut it off midway through. I didn't go through the whole book, and that was because of me, because I'm going to be honest, that thing gets heavy. That thing's heavy. It, it gets heavy because it's judgment, and we know that, and, and again, let me just quickly, just to do the book justice, we understand that um, the breakdown of this book is verse 19 of chapter 1. To understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand that John is writing the things which which he has seen, the things which are, which was present at that time, which he was writing to these seven churches. And then, the majority of the book of Revelation, John says in the things which shall be hereafter. 
So we, we believe in the premillennial, premillennial rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ because we believe everything takes place in chapter 3. We believe the breakup there is when he says the things which are. He, preached, he talked about the things which are or the things that was, the past. Then he talked about the things which are, were and he talked about the churches, the present churches. And then after he got done talking about the churches, if you'll notice... And I'm, I'm trying to do this quickly, and I wasn't even prepared to do this, but I want to do the book justice. We understand that he's talking about the things which are, which is the message to Ephesus, the message to Smyrna, the message to Pergamos, the message to Thyatira, the message to Sardia, the message to Philadelphia, the message to Laodicea. And then in verse 4, here's what the Bible says, And this, I, and after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now there's where we believe the break in the book of Revelation. That is the rapture of the church. Because that is the things that he told John to write. The things which was, the past, he wrote about that in chapter 1. The things which are, he wrote about the seven churches that was. And then in chapter 4, he said, I want you to write about the things that are hereafter. So chapter 4 starts the hereafter, which is the rapture of the church. So at the end of this book, in Revelation chapter 22, God's theme, God's message is always the same. And I want you to notice in verse 16 of chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. By the way, it's the very last chapter. It's the closing words of what we consider to be the canon, the complete scripture that God has uh, breathed for us, inspired for us, and has preserved for us. And we believe this is the end of God's word. There's nothing that needs to be added to this book, nothing added, nothing subtracted. And he speaks about that in this chapter. But these are the very last words of scripture. I want you to look at verse 16. I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. So he's writing about those seven churches. These are the things that I have written to the churches. Notice, he said, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Jesus speaking of himself here. Look at verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, Come and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, I can't remember exactly when. These words are not new. This message is not new. It is new for this year. It is new for this time. I have modified it, obviously, but I want you to know I've been thinking about what I could preach in these first few weeks, maybe first couple of months of this new year, and I came up on something that I have wanted to revisit that I preached many, many years ago here. I will say this, as many of you that did not see me fall off of this platform, these are going to be completely new words for you. This is a series of messages that I felt led to preach probably 11 or 12 years ago. I want to simply preach on this thought, the greatest words in the Bible. What are some of the greatest words 
in the Bible. Now, I have a whole series on this. I've modified this message from when I preached it probably back in 2010 or 2011. But this is where I feel led, and I feel led to bring this word. And here it is. Here's the title of the message. Here's the word that we're going to look at. God's favorite word. What would you consider to be God's favorite word? What is God's favorite word? What is the word that echoes with sweet music in every part of the Bible? What was the word that God spoke to man before He destroyed the earth with the flood? What was the word that prophets and the apostles have pronounced? What was the word that brought his disciples unto him? What was the word that was so often upon his lips and still upon his lips even today? What was the word, if obeyed, brings joy in the presence of heaven right now? What is the word uh, preached that preachers and teachers have proclaimed For centuries. What is the word if rejected brings sorrow to the heart of God? What is the word that he's still extending to us today? The word is simply this. Come. 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 C-O-M-E. A four letter word that I believe is his favorite word. Come is the great word of the gospel. Think about it. It's the great word of the gospel. If you have just that one word, if we were singing a song and we only have that one note, come. Just that one note that I can still sing. You can still sing the story of redemption. What is the great word that makes the gospel wonderful? Because God has already proclaimed the truth that He has died to save sinners. But He will make no one come. But He extends the offer to come. The gospel means nothing. The gospel means nothing. If He made people obey it. No, He extends His favorite word. Would you come? Do you know that love today, we have this This wrong idea about love today. We have a worldly love. We have this uh, fleshly love. And I understand all of it. But I want you to know something. A real love is not a love of coercion. A love is not something that is made to do. Love is something we choose to do. And God chooses to love us. He is love. But I want you to know something. His love should motivate us to love Him. So the gospel is rooted in love. He has done everything to secure our salvation. The only thing He will not do because He loves us is He gives us the choice, but yet He says, come. So let us look at that word this morning. I believe it is God's favorite word. This morning we find the answers. The answers are found in this word. Come. Let us look at some of the great comes of the Bible. Let's go back through the antiquity and the history of this book and the 
the antiquity and the memory of our God. And let's just look for a little bit because our God does not change. The Bible says of Him that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if He extended the comes of the Old Testament, He extended His comes to me all through the New Testament. Our God has not changed. So He is still the God that wants us to come. Let's just notice the great comes of the Bible. Number one, He said, come to Noah. I know Brother Edgy and Miss Edgy wants to take the teenagers this year. Hopefully they'll be able to, uh, to the ark and to the museum up in Ohio. And I know many of you have been, and it's a wonderful thing. But the truth is, there's something even more wonderful, a picture of this. I said, what was the word that God extended to mankind before He destroyed the earth with the flood? He said, come. You know the story. Noah was a man of faith. We know that he lived in a world that was wicked. There were terrible days. God said that there had gotten to such a day in the days of Noah that there were only the thoughts and imaginations of, of mankind and that day was continually wicked. When the ark was finished, God told Noah and He said, I want you to preach. I want you to come aloud. Cry aloud. I want you to speak for me. I want you to beg. I want you to plead. I want you to preach and tell these people that there's only going to be safety in this ark. And they invited everyone to come into the ark. And of course, during that day, we know they mocked, they made fun. Why? Because they didn't know what rain was. They'd never seen rain. We understand the firmament. We know that between there was a layer in heaven of where water had never, never came from the sky. And God said He broke up the firmament. When He broke up the firmament, we know the flood came from not only from within, but from down. They had never seen rain. So when Noah was preaching to that people when the earth and this utopian land was perfect, they thought he was crazy because he was preaching that water was going to come from the sky and water was going to be broken up from the earth. And yes, I believe the earth was one solid mass before the flood. I believe the earth was broken up because of the flood. I believe that the people during that day in the days of Noah, they had never seen rain. So when Noah got up and said, Your judgment is coming, destruction is coming, and the only safe place is in this ark, and I bid you to come, the God of heaven that is going to send this judgment, is going to send this rain, is telling you, asking you, pleading you to come. God told Noah and his family to come into the ark. Think of it. There was only seven that was spared in the whole world because it wasn't because God. I've heard this all my life. Well, I tell you right now, if your God is a God of love, then why did he destroy the earth? With Why does he send people to hell? Look at me. He, doesn't, he didn't do either. He gave everybody alive that opportunity to get in the ark. You know why safety was in the ark? He said, come. See, we want to make this picture of our God like, you know, oh, he's some mean God. He doesn't get, no, he always gives a way out. Amen? And by the way, he didn't just make some way to be a way out. He made himself to be the way out. He's our ark, spiritually speaking. Jesus Christ is our only safe place. And by the way, he says to us, there's destruction coming, but the only safe place is get into the ark, and I am your spiritual ark. The Lord Jesus Christ says, come unto me. Think of it, universal death. The ark floated. This is a symbol of our hope and our faith, and it still is today. 
I want to say I also believe that we have hope and faith as that ark. I want to just give another little... It's, it's, I believe it can be used as an application. I believe in this dark day, in this wicked world, while we're floating down these nasty seas and rivers of life, there's an ark. Y'all know what the ark is, spiritually speaking? Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, but He has also another ark. It is the church. It is the church. There's something special. There's something sweet. There's something safe. It's a symbol of hope. The church today, God says that my church, the gates of hell, shall never prevail against it. Listen, the waves may come. The firmament might be broken up. The the, the ground might look destroyed. But He said, I want you to know until I come and rapture the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And I want you to know something. It is a beautiful, beautiful symbol of hope and faith, the church. Can I say this morning, the church still floats (laughs) upon this world's iniquity and sin and corruption. And by the way, we live in a pretty wicked day, wouldn't you agree? We know in the days of Noah, the Bible said that the hearts and the thoughts and the imagination of the people were continually wicked. I'm going to be honest, we're not too far from that now. But oh, I'm glad there's still an ark floating down the river of time. There's still an ark floating. It's still a symbol of hope. It's still a symbol of faith. And look, I want you to know something. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about wood. I'm not talking about this particular physical address. I'm talking about the church is always a group of people. When we invite men to come into the church. And what I mean by that, we're inviting them to come to a place on Sunday. We invite them to come to a place on Wednesday. We invite them to come back on Sunday night. Or we invite them to come into the ministries of the church. This building is not the church. But when we invite people to be a part of the family of God and to get involved in the church, listen, this is not my word. This is God's word. Let me just say it as simple as I can. To all that's here and to all that's watching online, come. Come. Be a part of God's plan in the church. Come. I say that all these empty pews, they should be filled. Why? Because we say, come. In this dark and wicked world, we're still floating down this river that's so dark and nasty. At least there's some hope. At least there's some truth. At least there's some encouragement. Come. He said, come to Noah. Get in the ark. There's safety here. Can I say? Come. There's safety here. See, people have this idea about the church. We're a bunch of judgers. We sit around with our pharisaical garments on and we look down our pharisaical noses. And by the way, this is very close because I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes things hurt, don't they? But I like the spirit and the attitude of our church. Yes, some things are done that's wicked. There's things that are vile. There's things that have been done that's broken hearts. But I'm I'm thankful and I have to be reminded of this all the time. The Lord says, come. There's safety here. 
Now, we're human and we fail. But I hope and pray this is a place of safety. He said, come to Noah. Can I say in Luke chapter 19, he said, come to Zacchaeus. We're looking at the great comes of the Bible. We could mention more, but these are just the ones. I've added to what I preached 10, 11 years ago. I don't even know how long ago it was. But in Luke chapter 19, we're told that the Lord Jesus is traveling and he always had a crowd following him. And the Bible introduces us to a man that we know very little bad about other than he was probably not a real honest man because he was a, he was a tax man. He was a, you know, we, we could go there, but just for the sake of time, you know, if you were a child and you grew up in church, you should know this little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Y'all know that one? And you do all the things. If Jim Biller was here, he could help us. Maybe y'all know it. He climbed up into a sycamore too. Why? To see the Lord. He wanted to see the Lord. And you know, as a kid, I thought of this little old Zacchaeus. He was, you know, real little, real small. And to be honest, maybe he was a dwarf. I don't know. I don't know. But he was short in stature. The Bible says he was short in stature. And so here's what's amazing to me. He's seen Jesus coming, and the Bible said he wanted to see him so bad that he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him. Well, the Lord Jesus seen him. And he said to Zacchaeus, what did he tell him? He said, jump out of that tree. Fall out of that tree. Now, I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? Because I'm going to come to your house today. You know what he just said to Zacchaeus? Come, Zacchaeus, you're okay. Now, here's why that's so important, why I believe it should be mentioned in one of the great comes of the Bible. He wanted to see Jesus. He climbed up a tree. You know why he climbed up a tree? Here's why. He thought Jesus was hard to get to. And you know what I've learned in my life and ministry and just living. Sometimes I ran into so many people and they think God's so hard to get to. They think they got to clean up first. They think they got to get everything right first. They think, oh, I can't go to church, Pastor. You don't know how I'm living. That's why you ought to be here. I said to someone the other day, I said, God didn't come to clean up. He didn't come to save clean people. I mean, if we were all clean and we were all great and we were all perfect, God had no reason to come. No, He'd come to clean up old dirty sinners. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. By the way, we've all got skeletons in our closet. Somebody say amen right there. We've all got them. That's why this come is so important because Zacchaeus had in his mind that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was hard to get to. (laughs) And I want to just say this, you can get to it. I don't care what you've done. I don't care. See, here's why racism has no, no place in the Christian life. I don't care what color of skin you have. I don't care if you're poor, middle class, or wealthy. 
Don't care if you're four foot ten or ten foot four. Don't doesn't matter if you was whipped as a child at ten, two, and four every day. Doesn't matter if you was mistreated as a child. Doesn't matter if you were adopted. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what kind of job you have. Doesn't matter what social standing you have. Doesn't matter if you think you're in the minority or the majority. Listen to me. You can get to God. He came for all. No matter your stature, no matter your size, no matter what your disability is, no matter what you've done, Zacchaeus proves that. A little old man couldn't see him. And by the way, the Bible tells us that he wasn't a very honest man, but he wanted to see Jesus. He climbed up in a tree because he thought Jesus was hard to get to, but he found out something. Boy, he's not that hard. He's coming to my house today. And by the way, he can come to yours today too. He said, come to Zacchaeus. Can I say, he said, come to blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Look these up and read them today. Bartimaeus was blind. Bartimaeus was begging. Yet Jesus said to this man, come. (laughs) He'd been written off by society. In those days, it would be like we would be driving by an exit or a bridge and there'd be a man there with a cardboard. Homeless. Can you help me? He said, come. Actually, just read it. Mark chapter 10, he said to this man, And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Can I ask you all a question? Have you ever came to Jesus? Well, then I need to preach the gospel this morning. Not a one of you said you've come to Jesus. Let's try that again. I think you're just so enamored by their, by their oratory. You're so enamored of this West Virginia hillbilly waxing, eloquent, and dangling his party symbols. And butchering the English language. Let me say that again. Have you came to Jesus? By faith, you know there's been a day in your life that you was convicted of your sin and you realize you were blind in your sin just like Bartimaeus and he bids you come and you came and I'm going to tell you what he did. He not only opened up your eyes, he saved your old soul. I don't know about you, but the greatest come ever when I was sitting in the second row from the back in the little church in Temple Street in Hinton, West Virginia, a faithful man got up like he always did and preached that day. But for some reason, that five-year-old boy was a little more tuned in than he normally was. 
Man, I tell you what, Mr. Pilkin started preaching that morning and he got on the topic of hell and he got on the topic of sin. And I'm going to tell you all right now, as a five-year-old boy sitting back there, I realized I had sinned. I realized I had failed God, but he gave me the good news that even though I had sinned, God loved me. That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross for me. And he said, by faith, if you ask Christ to save you, you can be saved. And you know what that preacher did that day? He said, come, come to Jesus. Boy, that day I went home under conviction. Boy, I was struggling. I knew I was lost. I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I need to get saved. I don't know if I'm saved. And I thank God I had a mama that knew the Word of God. And I'm thankful that I had a mama that could set me down on a couch, open the Bible, and share with me. And by the way, she did not wax eloquent. She just shared one verse with me, John 3, 16. And as a little boy, I got it. I understood that I was lost. I understood that he was perfect. I understood even though I was lost and a sinner, he still loved me. And he asked me to come that day. And I thank God I came. I asked him to save me. And I've never been the same. I was blind. I didn't understand everything. Just like blind Bartimaeus. But not only did God heal his blindness, he saved his soul. It's an amazing thing what happens when you get saved. When you come to Jesus, He not only opens your eyes and you see things differently, He saves you at the same time. He says, come still today to the blind. And If you're here this morning and you're blind, I say to you, come to Jesus. Don't come to me. This very same Jesus that healed and saved Bartimaeus, the very same Christ says, come. You know why? It's his favorite word. Can I ask y'all a question? Many of you have heard me preach hundreds and hundreds of times. Some of you have heard me talk more times than you've wanted to. But you, I will guarantee you this. If you've been around me very long, you've already picked up some of my favorite words. Y'all want to hear some of them? I'll be honest about it. Y'all hope I'm being honest, right? What's another one? What's another one? Something obviously that uh, grammatically incorrect. How about ain't? That's one of my favorite words. And yes, there's a little mean streak in me with that. One of the reasons is I'll never forget one of the first messages. It was the first message I ever preached at a particular church. (laughs) I've told you this. Is this little lady still alive? Miss Woodrum? She's still alive. If she is, she's 105. But she was an ex-piano teacher, English major, English teacher, and I'm a young, just been called to preach. I hadn't even been in a year of Bible college, and their pastor asked me to preach. I get up to preach. And you know, I, I don't know about y'all, but it would be, you know, if you have a son or anything, you know, you're proud of them. You're, you know, it's a big deal to get up, especially someone like me that was so backward. And so I'm standing there at the back of the church and, you know, all these people are going by and they're encouraging me and say, oh, that was so good. A young man like you preaching. You know, you get on. And by the way, I preached a message on Wednesday night that all of you need to listen to. There is the right way and a wrong way to encourage a preacher. Going to them after the service and saying, oh, that was a good message or a good sermon. That ain't quite what we're looking for. Because that's all about the preacher. Where's God at in all that? 
But I'm standing there and I'm, you know, I don't know any of this stuff. I've just got up, I've preached, I never dreamed I'd be a preacher. And I mean, you know, I'm just excited and happy. And all of a sudden, this little old lady, she was the last one to come. She walks up there and she said, and I didn't even get it. I didn't even catch it. It was like a delayed reaction to that thing. She looked at me and she said, um, is there a grammar course at that college? And I went, yes, ma'am, I'm in it now. She said, good, take another one. (laughs) Turned right around and walked away. Now, I didn't think a thing about that until I got home. I said, she just cranked me right there in the church. So, there's a little mean streak in me, I'm being honest. So now if I think there's anybody here that's an English teacher, I just want you to know, I'm going to say ain't whether you like it or not. And then she can come up to me after the service if you want to, and I'm just going to say, I'll work on that. You know why I know this is one of this his favorite word? Because he says it all the time. Can I say, I love this. I think this is another great come of the Bible. We find it in Mark chapter 10, verse 14. You know why this is so beautiful? He said, come to the children. He said, come. He looked at his disciples with a very strong rebuke and said, he rebuked them. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me. You know what he said to those little kids? Come on up here. I don't know about y'all. I, I, I normally don't do things like this. But I mean, could you imagine... If the Lord Jesus, I, I just have this view that, you know, he was sitting there. And I just had this view that he said, he said, these disciples was trying to keep him away, keep these kids. Look, he don't have time for you children. You children are just getting in his way. Y'all don't understand. Here's what's beautiful about that. He said, he rebuked his disciples and he said, no. He said, suffer them to come unto me. And I just had this beautiful picture that they were so comfortable with Jesus, they just jumped up on his lap. You know, <laughs> you're taught a lot of things. I, <laughs> I'm going to reveal something to you. Do you know a way a person can handle himself, makes himself inviting for somebody to come and talk to him or not? For instance, I know there are sometimes people will come into the church and at times, before a service, sometimes people will think, well, that preacher wasn't very friendly, but what that preacher's doing is he's acting in such a way that he's got so many things on his mind, he's trying to keep people away just a little bit, just a little bit. He's not as inviting as normal because he knows if he gets something dumped heavy on him, it could affect the service. So I've heard it said, I've said, well, I can't right now, that preacher didn't even speak to me. Well, but listen, for instance, um, Chris, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to be very careful coming down these steps. Let's, <laughs> let's, just say, let's just say that if I'm walking down here and I'm making myself available, then I'm going to get stopped and I'm going to be talked to. Why? Because I'm making myself available. And by the way, I normally try to do that, but there are times that I've got something on my mind. You know what I'm talking about, people's... The way they do things, 
requires a response from you. So it could be like, oh, no, no. But here's what's beautiful about this. I say that because we all understand that. Do you all understand what I'm saying? There's been times you've been so busy, you've shot through there and you don't want anybody to bother you. But it's not because you're unfriendly. It's not because you don't love people. But it's because of the situation that's going on. But here's what's beautiful. In amongst all of that busyness, amongst all of that turmoil, the Lord Jesus has a demeanor about himself that those children felt so comfortable to come to him. That's beautiful to me. And I don't know about y'all, but I want to be like that. I want to be like that with someone that's not so much even a child. But let's say there's someone out here on the street and they say, oh, I can never come to that preacher because look at him. Look at the way he... But listen, the Lord Jesus was God in the flesh, but yet even children was comfortable to come to him. And we ought to live the kind of life. And we ought to not be looking down our old pharisaical noses all the time and say, oh, I don't want so-and-so to come here. I believe it is a stench in the nostril of God. He said, come to the children, even the smallest of children. That's why can I say to all of you that work with children, you have children, you have grandchildren, they are absolutely precious. And so if the Lord Jesus cared about the children, so should we. He said, come to the children. Can I say quickly, he said, come to the burden. I believe this ought to be included in the great comes of the Bible because in Matthew chapter 11, let me just read it real quick. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look, I know there's people here today, you got a heavy burden. Let me tell you something. Grief is a heavy burden. Sorrow is a heavy burden. Hurt is a heavy burden. It's a heavy load. Then you add on to that life, circumstances, the way the world is. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist here, but my soul just going to Walmart will burden anybody, just any grocery store at this point. I mean, that's a burden. You fill up your truck or your car, and it's a burden. Y'all, y'all with me? So not only the burdens of life, with dealing with people, dealing with hurt. Now we got in a place where we're in America, where it seems like everything is just astronomically high. I mean, to go to the grocery store, you're spending double. And then these hits, these hits, I mean, these hits just keep coming. I mean, hits just keep coming. If you're going to live life, hits are going to come. I mean, you're going to get hit in the stomach. You're going to get sucker punched. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get smashed. I mean, look at me. I'm not painting. I'm just telling you like it is. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Then you got health issues. You got people that you love that's hurting. You got situation. You got sin running rapid and destroying people's lives. And we're supposed to be happy in all this? No, there's not one person here in this building today that doesn't have a burden. There's not one person. There's not, and here's what's sad. When I was a boy, I had very few burdens. I really did. I had very few burdens as a boy. But now, you even look, it's so heavy and real. Now you look at little children. They're carrying burdens because their parents are letting them carry them. 
I think they ought to understand the realities of life, but for parents to be dumping heavy stuff on their children and requiring them to behave like an adult, give them a break. Let them be a child. I mean, there's children today that's worried about their lights being cut off because mommy and daddy is coming up off of a drunk stupor and won't go to work. Somebody say amen. But I I say all that because look, there's not a one of us here today that's not burdened. Can I ask y'all a question? Is there anybody here today, and look, I'm not going to embarrass you, but is there anybody here this morning that there's not something that you're concerned about? Because if you're not concerned about something, would you come up here and sign my Bible after church? There's not one soul. And by the way, we're all Christians. We all have hope, right? So why do you think the Lord said, all ye that are laboring, heavy laden, come unto me? You know why? Because he's the fix. He's the answer. Here's what he said. He said, if you're struggling, come to me. He said, I can help you. Now, by the way, I'm glad that we have people in our lives that can, can help me. And there has been people that's helped me. There's been me. Brother Don shared with me a day about a memory or, or a, an influence in his life from years gone by. And just the thought and the memory of that has helped Brother Don. It's encouraged him. And I'm glad that we have resources and people. But I want to ask you all a question. What happens when you ain't got nobody around? What happens when you're trying to explain something to somebody and they don't completely understand you because they've not been exactly where you are? Because you might have people in your life, they, don't, they love you and they care for you, but they don't know exactly how you're feeling. You know why? Because they haven't been there. But we don't have to worry about that with Jesus. He was, point, he was tempted at all points as we are yet without sin. He knows exactly where we are, and he's the one that tells us to come to him. And by the way, in the darkest of night, we can get to him. In the middle of the morning, we can get to him. Maybe we would not bother somebody on the phone, or we're not comfortable enough with someone to call him on the phone in the middle of the night, but we certainly can go to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, I'm hurting tonight. I'm struggling tonight. I don't understand what's going on in my life tonight. He said, Then you come. You're a perfect candidate to come to me. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me give you some promises that will help you get through the night. I I will sustain you. I believe God gives rays of sunlight, don't you? And sometimes in the darkest of our days, it shines on our face. He says, when you're struggling, come to him. Can I speak of maturity here just a moment? I have failed you as a pastor. I've failed you as a friend. If I've made this thing sound like that, I can fix all your problems. Because I can't. Y'all know why? I got so many of my own. But I ask this question, I don't ask it. I don't ask it in in an arrogant way. I have many people that I can call and talk to. Many. And I know they would help me. I know they would encourage me. But there are times in my life and have been all through my life, there's no one that I have desired to go to. There is no one I've wanted to call. There's no one I've even wanted to tell. There's no one that I've even wanted to give one little ounce 
of what's going on in my life. And I want to tell you something right now. I want him to know it, and I've learned this. He's always helped me. I'm glad I'm your pastor. But I've learned something. Been a pretty tough lesson to learn. One that I never thought I'd learn the way I learned it. But y'all know what? Y'all did just perfectly fine around here without me being here. If nothing else than this, I'm here, I want to help, but I want you to know something. Even when people can't understand or are out of order or not even reachable, he is never out of order. He's always able to be reached and he's always there. He says, come to us that are burdened. You need victory today? Then get to him. <laughs> Just throw yourself at him. Say, Lord, I can't do it. I need your help. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with crying. I want y'all to look at me. There ain't nothing wrong with crying. There's a release in tears. And boy, when you fall down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I need you to help me. You know what? I, there's been times I can't say anything else but dear God, help me. But I've learned this. He's always helped me. <laughs> he says, come to the burden. And quickly as I close, he says, come to us today. Revelation 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that... Heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Water is man's greatest necessity. You can live without food longer. You can live without shelter longer. But I'm going to tell you something right now. You cannot live as long if you don't have water. Water's a necessity. And so I love how he says, he said, look, if you're thirsty, then come. Get the greatest necessity. He said, look, I am the water. If you're thirsting, then get to me. Here's what he said, come. Here's what amazes me. If I'm out in the desert, I'm about to die. And I could use a real quick illustration. When I was a little boy, I played Little League Baseball. My coach was Joe Blankenship. We won every year but the first year. We won our league every year. He built a brand new baseball team, um, all of the kids, he got to pick all the first 12 players. Well, we didn't do very good the first year, but from that year on, we won our championship every year the whole time I played. He's one of the greatest coaches in Summers County. He ran for mayor, won it for a while. But I'm going to be honest with y'all, he'd be locked up today for child abuse. Somebody say amen if, he, if the stuff that he did then that he did today. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, we got to have Gatorade. we got to have all that stuff. What's hydration? Make sure you're hydrated. We was the best way to play in the summers, but can't wait to get off the field so you can go drink some water. He'd practice us for hours. There wasn't no water in sight. It was in the middle of summer. And I mean, look at me. We're junior boys. We're not even hardened teenage baseball players. I mean, ain't like any of us are going to really make it to the majors. But I'm going to tell you all right now, there was one particular summer day up there. It was hot, and we didn't have no water. And I'm telling you all right now, here's what he said to us. After hours of practice, he looked at us boys that wasn't even in junior high yet, sixth and fifth grade. He said, all right, boys. And I mean, we're all sitting there about to die. He said, all right, boys, find water any way you can. 
Well, there wasn't no water fountains. There wasn't no coolers of water. So I'm going to tell you where all of us went. We ran to the river. A dirty river. Y'all with me? How many of y'all know what the new river is? That's where we ran. And we was all down on our bellies, boys, slopping that stuff up. And we didn't care what we was going to get sick with. We didn't care. And obviously, I said, well, if the coach told us to get it wherever. I mean, there could have been boys went to the toilet. Could have went to the bathroom. But here's what's amazing. There was no water. So he basically told us, boys, here's what y'all go find. And I'm going to tell y'all right now. We, none of us at 12 years of age had any trouble finding water. And here's what amazes me. The greatest need of a man's life is Jesus, and it amazes me how hard it is people won't find him. And he says, come. He says, come. Your greatest need in this life is Jesus. He is the water of life. If you're thirsty this morning, here's what I say to you. Come to him, and I promise you, he will quench your thirst, whatever it is. He said it right in the book of Revelation. Anybody that's a thirst, come after me. He said, I will give the water of life freely. Look here, you don't even have to pay for it. He's done paid for it. Just come. Are you burdened today? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Can I ask you a question this morning? I know that there's burdens today in this building. I know there's burdens. I know there are people that are hurting. I know there are people that are struggling. I know it. I say to you, come. Jesus will help you. Let some other people come around and pray with you. You don't have to say a word, but just let them pray with you. You don't have to say a word. Just come to this old altar. Just come and say, oh, Lord, I'm going to give you my burden. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just come to this altar. Let the Lord help you with that. But can I say this? If you're here today and you do not know for sure if you die, you're going to heaven. Listen to me. Come today. He will save you. As we stand to our feet with our head bowed and our eyes closed, can I ask you this question? You ever wanted to go somewhere really bad and you haven't been invited? You're like, you're not the kind. You know, some people just bust through that and invite themselves. I've never done that. Amen. Normally, I'll wait for what? An invitation. But boy, y'all think about it. When you're given an invitation to be able to go somewhere that you want to go, boy, isn't that a wonderful, beautiful thing when you're told to come freely? He's saying this morning, come. Why don't you take him up on his invitation? With head bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many of you know, Pastor, there's something I'm struggling with today. Nobody knows, just me and God. But yes, you're right. I'm struggling with something. I'm burdening with something. Would you be honest? You're not ashamed of that. We all would raise our hand. I have to raise mine. Would you raise your hand? You know you're struggling with something. Well, let me just tell you the favorite word. Come. Let, let, him, let him help you. Just come. Can I ask this, or any of you, not for sure, if you die, you're going to heaven? Then come. We'll show you, and we'll, you can drink of this water of life, and I promise you, Jesus will save you. How many of you are not a part of a local church? You're not floating in that ark in this old wicked world. Then look, here's what I say. Come. We'd love for you to be a member of our church. You say, well, Pastor, I've never... Follow the Lord in baptism. Well, then, hey, come. We, we, can, we can take care of that. What is it? 
they're going to begin to play. You know the Lord. How many of you know the Lord spoke to you about something? Would you come? Would you? Would you find a place around this altar this morning? Would you just come? Ask the Lord to help you. What is it? You know what it is. He knows what it is. Come. Y'all believe that's his favorite word, one of his favorite words? I do. I'm glad we have a God that wants us to come. Here's what's amazing. He never walks around not inviting. He's always inviting. Can we start using that word to some of the folks that we know and love, maybe work with, or acquaintances, we start saying, hey, why don't you come with me? You need to start hearing what God says about things. Why don't you come to church with me? Father, we come to you this morning. We want to thank you for your many blessings. We want to thank you for your goodness. Lord, we're thankful. All through the Bible, you tell us to come. I'm thankful that this is one of your favorite words because, Lord, if you don't invite, we can't come. We're unable to come. We're not worthy enough to come. We're not good enough to come. But, Lord, because of you and what you've done for us, Our standing in God is is holy and righteous because of your dear son. I thank you for allowing me to come and inviting me to come. Now I pray you'll help us to invite others. We'll thank you for what you do. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. God bless you. Have a great day. Be back tonight, 6 o'clock. Tell somebody you love them and bye before you go. God bless you.